these atoms and molecules are in us because in fact the universe is in us and we are not only figuratively the atomic but universe stardust. is stardust and stardust has sentience in you and me i'd like to stand here present some egghead scientific it's argument true. It's Schwarzenegger. This thing is addressing problems that don't exist. It's solutionism at its worst. You're the reason this species is a failure, and it makes me angry. Take control of your city. This is America! 2076 Podcast. Now connecting. Hello and welcome back to the 276 Podcast, where I am your virtual friend and you are my virtual therapist. Um, Back in the old car today, so um, we're going to continue with the bit uh, where the uh, crappy audio connection is a consequence of me streaming live from the future. So um, let's go ahead and jump into... uh, a, uh, I'm, I mean, it, it's, it's really just a half-baked scenario, but I'm going to act like it's a, uh, it's some sort of, uh, sophisticated, uh, simulation of the future that is of great, uh, importance and relevance to you. Um, so, yeah, for today, I'm going to talk about how it is in 276, the year 2076, uh, with all the, uh, ubiquity of the cameras, um, AI, facial recognition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and how is your privacy protected in the future? Um, as I've set this up with absolutely no planning, by the way, I realized that the, uh, game, uh, what's it called? Cyber, Cyberpunk 2077 might actually deal with this in a, in a, in a really interesting way. Um, I assume they're going to, because I, they've, they've had, I've actually haven't seen their, uh, I haven't sat down and watched the release, um, play, uh, gameplay footage yet, even though they, uh, they did release some of that for E3. Um, but the idea is that, you know, they can, uh, engineer themselves. They can, it's sort of like biohacking people, um, use that word now when they just slap on an Apple watch <laughs> and track their heart rate. Um, or they spit in a, a tube and send it to 23andMe. They were using that that, uh, that, uh, phrase, like, 10 years ago, I remember there was a girl, uh, like, I don't know, she was, she worked in the lab, and this is like, 10 years ago, and, uh, she, that 23andMe had just come out, you know, it was still, like, in beta, and she was trying to make some, uh, excuse for, um, why I should get on there, uh, something, and, and she was suggesting that they could tell whether you're, like genetically compatible with somebody else or not, uh, based on uh, immunohistocompatibility, which I think is a very thin science, um, even now, 10 years later. The idea is if you're really similar to somebody, it's not great. And if you're really different, somehow that, that could be bad too. Um, but it just sounds like a, it sounds like astrology for people in tech in the Bay Area, or in biotech, I should say. Anyway... Backtracking to, uh, was it Cyberpunk? Um, yeah, I I assume, like, they have a bunch of, like, forged digital passports or something in that game. Anyway, I'm not gonna do anything like that. Uh, I was thinking, like, just in handling the, uh, 
cameras and, and AI stuff. Um, well, I guess in China they have this, this is already becoming an issue because they actually use a lot of this tech already. And uh, now they're trying to, <laughs> they're trying to train AI algorithms to deal with the masks because everybody's wearing masks now. Um, I know like in a lot of places they can just ban the, like people wearing baseball caps and stuff because they want those, uh, they're sort of ubiquitous security program to work. But in like a country like ours, you know, you could wear a baseball cap and a beard or a mask. But anyway, that's the best we can deal with it for now. But in the future, 2076, uh, we're way more sophisticated. And the, uh, the, uh, the moth and the bat evolutionary arms war um, has uh, grown very, uh, very brutal. That, that evolutionary, that, that's a thing in evolution where the, you know, the bat gets better echolocation and the moth develops better stealth and then the bat develops another way to track it down and the moth develops a way. This is like a semi-hypothesized, semi-evidence-backed um, evolutionary arms race you can see um, in some stuff. Anyway, uh, it's not good when I have to explain the metaphors. Um, anyway, going back to the, uh, the, the, the future. Uh, so yeah, in the future, um, you have, uh, you have modifiable face implants. And um, with that, you can modify like the angling and the beveling and the height of like your cheekbones and stuff, um, which might you might think is cool because you know it's like oh I can change the way I look or make myself look better or whatever, but um, it's really just to uh, stay under the radar and screw up the facial recognition algorithms. Um, so you just you're constantly uh, you're just setting those to automatically adjust slightly adjust um but then you know for other people to recognize you you have to have these like digital ids but then some people obviously are hacking into those to see who you really are and then there's fake digital ids so yeah it's privacy is another uh, mess in the future um that involves face implants uh according to me uh and you should believe me because I grabbed this number. Uh, if you Google 276 podcast, there is no other one like me. So, I mean, how, how could you not believe me? There's no one else to argue with me about the year 2076. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's done with that segment. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the previous episode. I think I did that, uh, I've sort of accidentally found myself mentoring a bunch of students um, because I did this last month's mission to a conference. Um, I'm out of the science, uh, the whole pie pants. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what it is. Um, I don't know. Party, party uh, industry, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm out of, I'm out of the whole science area and, uh, it's just something I kind of did on a whim. And, uh, anyway, um, like I said, I didn't, I forgot to uncheck a box, ended up getting, being listed as like a mentor and I don't know, a bunch of people got matched with me or picked me or whatever. And, uh, I, I thought, I thought these were all going to be like freshmen in, uh, college, but it turns out they're almost all like, uh, uh, last year, like fifth year PhD students, you know, so they're actually really close to my age. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you're not familiar with the education system because you went and did something real with your life, uh, so people, you know, from like 18 to 22, they go to college usually, and then from like maybe 23 to 28, they, uh, they do a PhD. A lot of my friends took six or six, you know, six to seven years to get their PhD. It's just the way it goes in a lot of these university systems. Uh, I know a lot of people who, you know, took a year off or two or worked or got a master's degree to get into these programs because they're competitive because the science engineering ones just here where, um, they, uh, they'll pay for you. Like you're not, you're not taking out student loans to these programs. PhD is, they pay you like a really small stipend depending on if it's a good program or not. It's like anywhere from like 18 K a year to 30 K and, uh, and then they, uh, and then they're like waiving your uh, tuition and stuff too. So, um, but you know, if you start as an undergrad and you work your way up five, six years later, you can have a much better, uh, position than like, um, a PhD student will, they always average, like you'll have like an eight to 10 K a year boost from that degree or something horrible. But, um, that's a, that's a wild generalization, by the way. I mean, it, it depends what area and industry you're in and stuff. Anyway, um, I was expecting, I don't know, a bunch of undergrads who were thinking about grad school or something. Um, I'm not sure why I thought, I thought that's what they said it would be, but it turned out it's all these, like, <laughs> all these PhDs that are graduating and having like, um, like proto existential crises. Like they, they can't even have existential crises yet. Cause they don't even know what they're talking about. They actually don't, they're so lost that I can tell that they don't. They have no idea. Um, so a lot of them are thinking to do uh, postdocs, which if you don't unaware, that's where you just do basically more school, but you don't get a degree for it. And that's really the only way a lot of times you can have a shot at getting a professor position. Uh, but what happens to a vast majority of them is you end up postdocing for six, seven, eight years or indefinitely. And then at some point they just change your title to, um, like research scientist or assistant professor, but it's not like a tenure track deal. It's just, a um, they call it a soft money position because you're, uh, um, constantly dependent on grant money to pay for your salary as opposed to tenure professors. Um, which all sounds reasonable. And, uh, you know, I, I some of the people I brought this up with, um, because immediately I assumed they all wanted to be tenured faculty at top of the heap. And I was surprised how many of them were like, well, yeah, but if you don't want to do that or, you know, like a lot of things you're saying is, uh, is assuming I want to do that. And I was like, yeah, I guess I did assume that because the whole thing's a pyramid scheme and the professors at the top are making like 350 K and you as a postdoc to, to, you know, assistant professor make 60 K, uh, well, no, postdocs start off at like 40 K. And eventually if you're like, you know, a really senior uh, postdoc slash basically your soft tenured or soft non-tenured, um, that, that is soft moneyed, non-tenured, uh, like assistant professor, or they, sometimes they maybe call you adjunct. Um, I don't know. They, they just have all these titles, um, support scientists, whatever. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they jump you into the 60 K range. And if you, you hang around for a decade, you know, you'll get about 80, 80 K or so. Um, but that's, that's a really long time. Cause you imagine, on top of that, you've already wasted so much time doing, uh, all these degrees and, and stuff. Um, so I assume, you know, between the two options, 
you know, these, these, these bright eyed, smart people would want, would just be assuming, I'd assume they'd go to the tippity top, but you know, I don't know. Um, maybe it's, um, balanced, like psychological balance on their, their part. Uh, because you know, I, I don't I mean, what am I talking about? I didn't get that. I wasn't able to, um, get anything close to that. And, uh, yeah, so, in, I mean, in, in that sense, they're actually more right than me, but, um, uh, it's funny, even though I'm out of it, I'm still thinking like that when somebody asks me, but, um, yeah, anyway, uh, one other thing I want to talk about, oh, I'm sorry, you probably can hear that when my phone does these stupid notifications, <laughs> very unprofessional, anyway, uh, let me turn the sound off here, because... I always forget to turn that off. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm just, I was just going to comment, you know, I, so I listened to all their, you know, research areas and I had a, you know, I do this individually, um, one-on-one through zoom and, uh, yeah, they're, they're in different parts of the country. You know, they're, some of their places are getting, uh, you know, coronavirus lockdowns and stuff now. So that was interesting because, um, on the West coast, they've been in lockdown for like, I don't know, I think four months now. So, um, whatever people's opinions on that differ. Uh, anyway, um, the, uh, the, when I heard about their research areas, it's, it's kind of funny how they just, they have no, they've really no sense of like, I very gently pointed out to some of them, like, you know, what is sort of the usefulness of what you're studying? <laughs> I, I actually, I didn't do it in that way at all. I mean, I did it in such an indirect way. Um, but they were, you know, like, this is a common problem where they're, I don't know, they're in some like cross-disciplinary thing and, uh, you know, or they're trying to like, there's some pet project or some random thing that has been given to them by their uh, professor. And, uh, um, you know, they're, it's, it's like people, I had this problem, you know, having one foot in like science, one foot in engineering. Um, you know, you could imagine the, the, a good intersection of those things. Uh, I'll try to keep those brief cause I can really ramble sometimes, but, um, uh, you can keep those things, uh, very, you can have the best of those things, you know, uh, engineering, you're trying to build something, you know, useful and usable and, and science, you can have these like, uh, sometimes better, um, quantitative approaches or, or better, um, sort of understanding of why things happen the way they do or, or whatever. Um, but often what happens when you see that is people end up getting the worst of both worlds where, um, it's like, are you making anything useful? No, no, no. It's because it's science. Oh, okay. Well, are you ex able to explain something better? Oh, no, no, no. Cause it's engineering. You know, we don't really care. <laughs> and it's like, well, great. You actually, you are squarely in the realm of an art project. And I think that's what's happening in a lot of um, STEM areas. I'm talking about hard PhDs in STEM, by the way, is science, technology, engineering, and medicine. So, um, you know, hard sciences, hard engineering, good universities, PhDs. I think there are a lot of them are, are doing nationally funded uh, art projects and are then after sometimes 10 years of this, um, 
you know, understandably confused of why people aren't clamoring at the door or, or people won't return their calls when they like, you know, uh, in terms of, I mean, even within these, even within the science field, sometimes, you know, they, they have a hard time getting, you know, things published or whatever. And of course if they try to, um, I don't get a job or whatever. And so what often happens with, uh, cause like 90% of people that get these, um, go through that process, end up having to go into industry. Uh, they can't stay in academics. Um, you end up having to, and I had to do this too. You end up having to retool yourself. So you end up having to like, um, sit down and learn a coding, coding language or something. Um, you know, just like the, uh, uh, I know they were, uh, saying that to the, that was not a thing in the news a year or two ago. They were saying that to miners, like, or whatever, these industries, coal miners, you know, they were, it's like, you know, it's an outdated thing, you know, you need to adjust with the times, learn to code. And then, I don't know. I, I didn't really follow the drama of it. I think it went back and forth, but anyway, I actually, as a PhD, that's what you often need to do is learn to code. And, uh, it's really not that bad, uh, compared to what, how most people, if they had to sit down and learn to code, because a lot of times you've been working on a computer for years at this point doing your PhD, you've been doing some kind of like scripting language. Um, so now you just have to learn, uh, a more useful coding language for industry, which I mean, often these days is Python. Um, and, uh, although if you want to be, you can, and I knew people that transitioned squarely into being software engineers. Um, and you know, maybe you learn, you know, C or Java or something, but anyway, that stuff is boring as fuck. I'm going to move on and, uh, go to, uh, a new segment where I play an ad because I have so many listeners now that um by just clicking this ad button from off to on i can monetize like crazy and retire so uh please stay tuned for the ad and uh please don't turn off any of the ad blockers and i appreciate your uh, listening ship hey there if you ever wanted opinions but you couldn't generate them on your own well then you should listen to the 276 podcast uh 276 podcast this is on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon. Um, there's other sites too. Uh, you know, feel free to go to any of these things and start a discussion about why this guy is such an amateur, why this guy rants without any sort of outline or points, why this guy is uh, appears to not know how audio quality works. Um, all that and more. Uh, if you want to make a any sort of suggestions, comments, or just uh, send in random excerpts of your personal diary, do so at 276spam at gmail.com. Um, order now, order today, and uh, you'll receive an one episode for free. Uh, thank you. All right, guys, thanks for uh, listening to that ad. Um, I appreciate uh, you not skipping it. Uh, it really helps pay the, uh, pay the bills around here. Um, so on to yet another segment as I take a sip and try to think what, what that would be. <sighs> All right. I'm going to go ahead and do, uh, one of my recommendation segments where I recommend a piece of media, a piece of art, a book, uh, a well, in this case, I'm going to recommend a movie. Um, movie I haven't thought about in a really long time. 
and uh, I don't know what reminded me of it, but um, Hunt for Red October. It's a great movie. Uh, 1989. And you might think I've prepared this segment, but I really haven't. I actually just know the year. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a movie of trivia um, obsessed weirdo, but um, anyway, I'm pretty sure it's 1989. Anyway, um, yeah, Sean Connery, uh, Alec Baldwin. Uh, but I mean, the important part is Sean Connery's in it, plays a Russian submarine captain who defects. And oh, it's just a work of art. Uh, it's based on a Tom Clancy novel, which I used to read those when I was younger. He's uh, um, tombs of like uh, military technology description. And, uh, yeah, um, he, uh, anyway, Tom Clancy is a, is a, yeah, it's, he, he has some good books, obviously. Um, but in the later years, he, um, I think he died like five or 10 years ago, but, um, his later years and, and obviously the book since his death, weren't written by him. They just used his name. So that was always the first time I felt for that. Um, I was really pissed off, but, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a good, it's a good movie. It's, uh, it's about a, it's about a guy bucking the system, a guy who bucks the system so hard. He doesn't even have a Russian accent. He has a Scottish accent. Um, but you know, he's Sean Connery. I mean, even technically doesn't Sean Connery, I don't even think has a Scottish accent. I think people from Scotland are like, nobody speaks like that from our country. <laughs> That's just his accent. Um, but yeah, uh, he, uh, he bucks the system. He bucks the entire Soviet Union. He single-handedly defeats them. Um, I like movies like that, that single-handedly defeat the, uh, the, the communist Soviet Union. Um, like Rocky IV, uh, where, you know, the five foot two Italian guy goes to, uh, Russia and personally defeats the entire, uh, Soviet Union, um, in the form of like a seven foot, uh, blonde, um, enemy opponent, um, played by Dolph Lundgren, who's from Sweden, I think. And by the way, he has like a master's degree in chemical engineering or something from, uh, like MIT or something. So he's, he was just, uh, he was just a, he was a good brain that happened to be slapped into a giant body. And then he was like, Oh, you can do more with your body and then your brain. I'm going to become a actor, which is something maybe we should all done anyway. Um, yeah. So that's a recommendation. Uh, he quotes, he quotes, uh, Christopher Columbus, he quotes Cortez. He, he does a lot of quoting that movie, I just realized. He quotes, um, uh, what's that? That ancient uh, Indian text that uh, Oppenheimer ended up quoting when the nuclear bomb went off. I've become death, destroyer of worlds. Um, anyway, yeah, so he's kind of like a philosopher captain, which is what... John Luke Picard was in The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, wow. So yeah, I just burned through a bunch of recommendations right there. I wouldn't recommend going back and watching Star Trek The Next Generation. I uh, I think it would be hard to watch now. It'd be unwatchable, but um, I enjoyed it when I did watch it. I hadn't really seen any of the other Star Treks. 
So I think it was the right one for me uh, because it was more modern than the whatever the really hokey uh, 60s and 70s one. Uh, but yes, Philosopher Captains. I realize that has probably really imprinted upon me. Um, I think this is a problem in general. Uh, not a problem, but it's like a force that we don't recognize, which is our fiction creates a random vision of the future, which is kind of what I do. You know, and I'm like, do the 276 uh, segments where I, I tell you about the future. I'm just telling you about my vision of the future, obviously. Um... And, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but that's, you know, this happens all the time collectively. Like, our fiction writers bend one way for sometimes a couple decades, and that influences the whole next generation. And uh, famously, I think, like, Generation, I guess Generation X is famously just, you know, they're, like, disappointed because they grew up with all this moon base and rocket packs and um, other certain visions of the future and they didn't get it you know they got they got a uh, twitter and uh other things and um i think uh i just realized yeah i i got a lot of uh i think i think maybe that's why too i mean the star trek universe is very like communist and collectivist but it's a communism that's working really well uh, they don't, like, have any currency. Nobody has, you know, everyone kind of fits in various roles. They they can replicate. There's no there's no uh, material um, wants or needs, really, that can go, that are unfulfilled because, at least within the Federation, at least within, like, the, this fusion military slash, like, nationalistic slash political organization that is the Federation. Um, and, uh, yeah, and because they have replicators, you know, like technology has solved all these issues and problems, um, except in certain episodes where suddenly like, they're like, you know, the common cold, we still have no cure for that or whatever. They, they do this cheesy crap. Um, so it's very oversimplified and you can really poke at it today and I might do that in the future, but, um, it's interesting because it's, uh, it actually, I just realized how similar those two things are. Star Trek Next Generation and uh, Hunt for October, they're both political slash military fusion organizations within the communist system. Um, because the like this whole Soviet Navy, they all had political officers on board. And, uh, you know, in fact, the, the, the Hunt for October is based on a true story in the 70s where a Russian submarine attempted to de defect and it was actually the political officer not the captain that um, uh, defected with like half the officers um, and they failed. They tried to like sail to Sweden and uh, the Soviet Navy caught up to them and bombed them until they uh, gave up. And uh, yeah, they, they, they were able to uh, stop that. Um, anything really from happening. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Um, you should watch it. The Hunt for October, it's still very watchable. It's very good music. A lot of Russian music. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, I really need a, a drink button. I'm so sorry. My uh, my tech is not very good on my 
cell phone, but anyway, um, I'm going to go ahead and do the last segment, which is, uh, the temple of the half-ass advice. And, uh, you have approached me for the half-ass advice. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just ran into me at a strip mall and I was in line with you and you made the mistake of making eye contact with me and now I'm giving you advice. And you're like, uh, what? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? I'm like, no, listen, listen. So, okay, that's my intro to this segment. Um, having just come off the whole, having a million Zoom calls where I had a mentor, I had to be a mentor, if you can believe it or not. I can't believe it, but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of lean into what I was saying to, or at least thinking to, um, but I can say more freely to you guys. Um, you should, you know, do a really honest evaluation of your, of your, of what you can uh, produce or what you are producing or your utility or usefulness, and. If you do a really honest valuation, I think often you're going to realize that um, it's not that much. In fact, it might be hard to find any at all. And that's okay. But, you know, and, 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 and realize like a lot of the world is just operating like that. Because a lot of society, I think, is just a way to just organize people. You know, it's like if you, if you take a bunch of, I don't know, uh, objects and you throw them on the floor, they have to land in some kind of arrangement. And it's like, that's society. And it kind of, you can arrange it differently. But at the end of the day, we have to settle into some kind of configuration. And, uh, and it's sort of secondary that everyone is producing really useful things or, you know, not, because I don't think that happens. I think a lot of people aren't really producing anything useful. A lot of people, some people are producing things that are maybe pushing us backwards, you know, causing regression. And, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. You get, you just gotta be okay with it because it's all bigger than you. And so I would say that I, I would say the bigger problem would be to be delusional or, or, or fooling yourself that what you're doing is insanely important or really, uh, really important, really cool. Um, I think it's important to figure out what is important so you can generate that, um, defense for your boss or your hiring review, or if you're trying to get employed at a new job, I think it's, or, you know, you're trying to date somebody or, you know, whatever you're at a dinner party and you have to seem interesting. I don't know. Um, but I think it's important to know both sides of that coin and to really understand how unuseful and, and, and kind of, um, maybe pointless or, or worthless, uh, or how, you, you know, you have maybe no good skills or anything that actually contribute that much. And, uh, that's, that's it. <laughs> it's super depressing. No, I, I had, I swear I had a point. Um, yeah, my point is just to not be, not be tricked because everybody around you paradoxically will actually help you reinforce your delusion. And people don't think that people will fool themselves and then think on top of it. Um, it's not in everyone's uh, best interest to be um, propping them up because people are competitive and people are, but people are insidiously competitive, you know, by propping up your, um, say false sense of utility when you're worthless. I mean, I've been at companies that have done mass contractions suddenly and fired like 50% of the workforce 
And you could see right up to the day they, some of these people got fired, they were super convinced they were invaluable. And it just isn't true. They're not, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, clearly, I don't, you know, who, who really is invaluable? You know, that's probably taking it too far um, for anybody. And these people I would say are, were the most, um, you know, and, and this, 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 this was actually a good example because I thought meritocracy kind of won out in some of these cases where sort of the most useless people, um, that spent most of their day trying to, um, shuffle and, and, uh, maneuver for, you know, higher and higher positions, uh, got canned because they're, 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 they generated no value and they just, um, you know, whatever. Anyway, and it wasn't unanimous. I mean, there was some people that who were like that, who survived it. Um, and there's some people that contributed that got canned too. But anyway, um, I guess I'm saying they kept me. So, you know, it's meritocratic. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just, I would just, I would just, uh, I'd give you that ass backwards piece of advice. Um, be clear about your non-utility and non-usefulness just so that you don't get fooled. Um, because I, the, the, the most dramatic cases of this I see is these, uh, some of these grad students and it's some of the people that worked around me. And, and when I was still in academics, uh, some people that were sitting in those labs for like 10 years and they, they are just, they have no idea what the outside world is like. They have, you know, they, they do, they're doing something that nobody else around them can do, you know, and they go to the store and they go to the restaurants and they go to, well, they used to go to restaurants, but they go to whatever. And they're, and you know, they can kind of have a little smugness because, you know, they're using some software package that nobody knows about. They're, they know how to do things on it, but it's, it's very, it's just kind of arbitrary. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And suddenly the system will shift. They'll get canned. And their narrative won't make any sense suddenly because there's not a line of people outside their door trying to, trying to, um, recruit them. Or even if they go knock on a hundred doors, nobody will want to recruit them. And you realize by making that transition that you actually have to, uh, make yourself, um, useful or at least have a convincing appearance of being useful. And it's not as easy as you think because you, you, you keep trying and then you shift your the way you present yourself and the, and you actually go learn some skills, uh, like coding or whatever it is. And, and, uh, you know, ways of speaking and, uh, you know, other, other things like that. And, and at least learn a more and more convincing, uh, representation of what is useful, but you can't do that if you, um, don't accept how you just won't take the first step in accepting how, um, useless you might be. So, uh, you know, and I don't want that to be an emotionally negative thing. Just, just understand that we're, we're all kind of like artists and, uh, that sounds weird when you're, um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's a little detached if you're like in service, which I've been in before, like, you know, when I worked in hospitals, I worked as an EMT, but, um, but th there's nothing really, you're not contributing anything to the future. You know, you're just, you're just a, uh, bolt in the machine, uh, trying to keep it roughly at status quo or even from sliding backwards too much. You know, you're not really in a progressive force. You're in a maintenance force at best. You're in a custodial kind of 
you have a custodial contribution. And those often are like, are actually the most real things you can do because all the most, almost everything that has a progressive slant to it is fake. And if you happen to be in that, in that stuff, that's fine. Just again, understand that you're basically a subsidized or, um, patron supported, uh, artist, uh, like in the old Renaissance days, in the old 1500s, Italy, Medici or whatever days, um, where, you know, you can maybe, maybe you will make something really cool, but it does require you to find rich patrons and them to pay for it. And, and, uh, you know, and that, that's, that's, uh, that's a cool thing about the whole internet these days. Um, because you can go out and find your cobble together, your specialized audience and everybody can collectively contribute little pieces, um, and replace one rich Italian guy from the 1500s. Anyway, um, so in that, in that vein, this is, uh, Michelangelo, um, the great podcast artist signing off. I should have, I should have used that identity today. Um, I don't even remember what I came up with for today. Um, I like to consistently sign off with whatever I garbage I come up with at the beginning, but I don't remember. So fuck it. Um, yeah. So please, uh, visit, view, listen, uh, on, uh, anchor.fm. Uh, I, I'm getting it on Apple, but it's not there yet. Uh, but Google podcasts, uh, public radio or radio public it's called uh there's a bunch of sites you can find my podcast it's 276 podcast everywhere across all my social media so i've made that consistent um and uh, again feel free to either ping me on red edit or send me a email message at 276 spam at gmail.com and uh yeah if you um if you've been uh listening to this while driving uh be sure to be at, you know, stop at a red light before you punch out your phone and pick a new one because you never know when a copper pulls up right next to you. And I've been pulled over for that being on my phone. All right, have a good one. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal.